right now, it's my pleasure to be joined by Brian Brown of NBC Sports and a Fordham professor. Brian, what do you think of the first half? I am so impressed with the Fordham defense. Uh, it is, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of the, the adjective, and it is furious. It is a very impressive ball hawking, my, my, my goodness, it's a, what the, the effort, the work ethic on this defense is remarkable. You're here with a lot of Fordham students here tonight. What is the assi- assignment for them? So um, I'm, I'm privileged to be here teaching the first ever sports writing uh, class as part of the Fordham Undergraduate Communications and Media and Journalism School. And so uh, I have got the whole team here tonight, all uh, various Fordham sophomores, juniors, and seniors who are live tweeting the game. Uh, some of them, many of them, uh, some of them are WFUV guys and Fordham Ram uh, newspaper guys. Uh, they're all very much involved. But anyway, this is a this is a the debut class in sports writing. In your opinion, is it better when you're live tweeting a game to give score and time, just general stuff, or to give more of an opinion or a little bit of both? Well, I, I think you're you're doing kind of a running score, but it's it's nice to be able to talk about. Uh, how, say, GW reacted to the Fordham defense. Uh, to uh, Also, if you can, to provide a little bit of flavor if you're seeing something that hasn't happened before, like the identity of the, the person who did the Star Spangled Banner. So I, I, think, I think it could be a mix of, a mix of both. Um, but you're trying to bring the whoever might be listening, kind of the... The, the, the basic immediate facts, like the, the run. I think the run was 19-0. Was it yeah. 19-0? That's, that's rather impressive. So um, the, uh, the three-point, I, I think at one point it seemed like Fordham had not missed a three-point shot in a, I don't know, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yes. Um, in your opinion as a whole, how do you think social media has affected the in-game experience for fans? Well, um, I, I, I hope that the in-game experience is never replaced by social media. Uh, what, from my, from my point of view, for for those students who are studying journalism, and, and Fordham, particularly with w, WFUV, is one of the great college stations ever. It is an extraordinary opportunity for the Fordham students. They take advantage of it, and so many Fordham graduates. Uh, make a life in sports broadcasting and sports journalism. So what part of, from the journalism end, if you are going to be working as a professional journalist, unfortunately, you're working all the time. So you're live tweeting at a game, and then you're doing a game story, and then you might be doing a feature story, and then you might be also doing a podcast. So um, the demands on the young journalist today, I think social media has made it uh, it's certainly more challenging, but it means you have to be kind of an all-in-one radio, TV writer. You said you work for NBC Sports. What are the, some of the, your favorite events that you've covered? Well, I, I, was, I was lucky to work on 12 different Olympics. Uh, I, was, I was present for the, the beginning and end, or not quite the end of the Michael Phelps run. Uh, and the... The Olympics, uh, the Olympics allows you the opportunity to see the world. So, I my first Olympics was in Korea, 
Uh, it was an Olympics in Spain and China. Uh, the final Olympics I did was in London, and uh, that was as perfect an Olympics as you can imagine, a city that was really ready to do it, and some extraordinary performances. How do you decide at the, at the Olympics which event you're going to go to? Because everything seems to be going on almost simultaneously. Well, if you're a, if you're a sports writer uh, at an Olympics, uh, you have to pick. That's, your, that's an editorial judgment. Now, if you're on the TV side, NBC, for example, will have as many as 3,000 people covering the Olympics. So, for example, in my role, uh, I would often work specifically on the primetime show and... I was either working as part of the in-studio writing team with Bob Costas, or I was I was picking out a, a daily event of note and producing something about that. So, for example, we did a piece uh, where Chris Collinsworth sat with Michael Phelps's mom as she watched the race. Uh, so, so the it's. It's not possible to cover the Olympics is 10,000 athletes, 300 events, 20 some odd, well, 30 some odd sports. So, and the TV side, you kind of pick your lane. As a journalist covering Michael Phelps, do you find it challenging to kind of accurately depict just the greatness that you're watching? Because you're probably never going to see anything like it. He, he was uh, the. the for, you know, for me, the winning winning those races, it, it, it was the the eight gold medals in Beijing, um, and the the inherent drama of all of that, and what he had to do to to prepare himself. I, the I remember asking his coach at the beginning of his, his coach is Bob Bowman. I remember asking him uh, just before the Athens Games when it was expected he was going to blossom. Uh, he said he took. Uh, in his training he had taken off one day and that was because he needed uh, a wisdom tooth removed so Michael Phelps uh, in advance of an Olympics was in the pool for two a days every day for 365 days a year virtually do you think that Americans would be a little bit less interested in the, in the Olympics now that Michael Phelps is pretty much end of his uh, swimming career well he certainly spoiled he spoiled Olympic viewers what what I think one of the things that happened at the Rio Games is as Michael was departing, uh, USA Swimming actually, for example, uh, their new and younger stars uh, sort of matured much faster than I think many people expected. So there are there's a number of new compelling stories. So as Michael Phelps leaves the stage, for example, there's Katie Ledecky, who who is now a dominant swimmer in the in the distance event. So. Uh, and she's she's probably got two or three more Olympics in her. What do you find to be one of the most underappreciated Olympic sports? I'm on the side of, I think, handball. I was a big handball fan in the Summer Olympics. I, you know, I'm with you on team handball. Is I want to see a, an American dream team in team handball. I agree. It, you know, it's Jordan, or, you know, take LeBron James. I wanna, I'd like to see LeBron James play team handball. Or maybe LeBron James and... You know, pick your baseball player, uh, and uh, you know, who's the best? Like Clayton Kershaw, uh, LeBron James, and, and maybe let's pick a hockey player. Uh, who's the best American hockey player right now? American hockey player. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of Sid Crosby first of all. But yeah, he, I was thinking he's, he's the wrong right guy. But, too. Uh, and maybe an NFL, an NFL linebacker. I, 
uh, we should be better at team handball. I would think so too. I mean, I, f I feel like these other uh, countries just maybe focus on it a little bit more. Because I mean, we definitely have the athletes. Yeah, no, to, that's to compete. no, that's it. It's we we just need to we need to spend a little time. And then, like in the winter, the the, the sort of the cult sport that everybody loves. And I have attended a curling match. Curling is fabulous. It's just the the curlers themselves and the it's it, for a sport that seems rather sedate. When you're there, it can be pretty intense. When I walked into the gym today, I didn't think I was going to be talking about handball and curling, but I'm, I'm loving it so far. Uh, this, by the way, the Rose Hill Gymnasium, I, I want to put a question to you because I put it to my class. Is this gymnasium is, is one of the great treasures in American sports, just as WFUV is, is one of the signature stations uh, on a college campus. But I think James Naismith was here, the inventor of basketball. And I want to put that question to, to you guys, and I'm going to put it to my classes is I know this gym has been here a long time, but I suspect that the inventor of basketball either was here as a coach when he coached at Kansas or he made a stop here. So I think James Naismith blessed this gymnasium. I, I believe it. I believe I it I think too. this ghost is here. It's one of the, I think, the underrated treasures of college basketball, the oh, Rose Hill yes. Gym, for, for sure. It's this, right up there with Hinkle Fieldhouse and yes. other places that have just a lot of, a lot, tons of character. And in fact, it reminds me of the, the Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas, where Naismith first coached. This is that kind of classic Fieldhouse, of which there are very few left. Uh, but it is, it is a great environment, which is, yeah, social media is great, but there is nothing that replaces being at the game. I totally agree. And, Brian, before I let you go, what does Fordham have to do in the second half to take care of business and win their regular season finale here at the Rose Hill Gym? Well, the, the guy who's, a, who's an extraordinary player is Tyler Cavanaugh for, for George Washington, and they've done a very nice job. It's hard to imagine Fordham being able to maintain this, the pace of this defense, but if they can, and if they can keep Cavanaugh reasonably under control, which they have done, and, and he's – Boy, he's a load to, to deal with because he can play, he can play high post, low post. He can penetrate. If they, if if they can keep him under control, they've got a very reasonable chance. But what an impressive defensive showing so far. Brian Brown from NBC Sports and a Fordham professor. Thanks a lot for thanks coming you. on. It was Thank a real, real pleasure. pleasure to have you on. Pleasure.